Hi, this is uh, Ross Travis um, with Ronlin Foreman and Jethro Foreman here, the dog. Mm, the dog. Yes. The horse dog. The horse dog. And we are at the end of the two weeks working together. And uh, let's see, what have we we've been having some <laughs> we've been having some good naps. We've nice. been going for for uh, trips to the Western Sizzler, uh, Chinese buffet, um, oh, and we've been making a show. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that a show. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, that's in in between. Oh yeah, especially like the hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, yeah, we um. Have a big piece of paper all full of ideas and structures and characters and ah, there's been a lot going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's it's been so easy, in a way, and um, copacetic that it's that it that it's um, almost surprising when we go back and review the sheet, review the the page for me that there's that there's so much stuff on it yeah yeah it feels good that there's like feels like there's more material than anybody would ever want to see (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay so I want I just wanted to begin by reading this um, passage from this book called The Poxy Place. And you might hear Jethro the dog in the background (laughs) um, running about. Uh, This this, uh, book is called The Poxy Place by Karen Hines. And um, in the beginning of this, the introduction, she has a passage about Buffon work, which we have been Hmm. doing and Hmm. um, talking about um, that is inspiring to me. So um, here it goes. Uh, The year before I wrote Poxy's Lips, I had studied a performance technique called Buffon. I had been inspired by this dark form of clowning, which prescribes the use of bodily affliction in combination with parody to achieve its theatrical political effect, as well as an antagonistic, even hateful relationship between performer and audience. But it also disturbed me. It seemed ill-mannered and ill-advised, not to mention deeply insensitive, for an apparent able-bodied performer like myself to use affliction on stage. Furthermore, why would I want to play hatred against anyone who would be good enough to come and see my show? Yet I had seen the power of on-stage affliction at work, its knack for making ideas and especially parody cut just a little deeper. Having spent three years writing and performing at Second City, I had had the great privilege of studying satire and practicing it live on stage. But I confess I had been frustrated by what I saw as the potential of satire being too often blunted by the economic urgencies of entertainment. I was similarly frustrated, even repelled, by my studies in clowning. They seemed to spawn clown performances, say my own, that ranged from the obnoxious to the saccharine. But clown visionary Richard Pachenko had planted powerful ideas about what he calls the personal clown. Basically, an intensely visceral performance entity born from the celebration of the extremities and the normalcy of the self. In further contrast to the buffon, Pachinko taught the clown must love the audience. Yet, despite my distaste for these seemingly conflicting performance styles, I was somehow compelled to fuse them. Just as one has a personal clown, I figured, one might also have a personal Buffon. Not simply a character based on random choice of physical deformity, but rather one inspired from within based on the aspects of oneself that one is repelled by or on more external horrors. 
Thus, I settled on a character inspired by a more universal disease, a societal and cultural afflictions, spiritual, psychological, physical, from which no one is immune. The more primal the fear, the more deep-seated the dread, the more personal the Buffon. I reasoned, the funnier the satire. I had to think so. The premiere was now days away. Uh, and then she goes on. I'm going to cut out a little bit here. Um, hey, Jethro, go, go on. <laughs> Jethro. <laughs> what I have to, tried to create with these plays is satire for our times and entertainment that can simultaneously condemn and celebrate humankind. In the true spirit of the Buffon, I hope it is an entertainment which can which certain corporate warriors might come to see, laugh at, hum along with, only to awaken the next morning and inexplicably hang themselves with their Armani ties. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the true spirit of the clown, I hope that the audience, presented with a cruelly com comedic mirror of their lives, will find paradoxically a momentary reprieve from the need to escape them because my ultimate goal is to create in the laughter that springs from a shared sense of futility a persistent glimmer of hope so i uh i love that passage um and i don't i don't know that like well i just love the the fusion of that she does between these two realms mm -hmm. that come together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what are you? What are you, What are your thoughts on? Yeah, what, no, it's. Yeah. Yeah, I have what I have enjoyed uh, being informed by you regarding Buffon and uh, your enthusiasm for it. I have. I have I have an undeniable affinity for this personality this this afflict this afflicted individual and the play of that but I have um in my own work and teaching have curtailed explorations into satire and parody because for the nascent student for the for the for the beginning student it is a an easy deferral from the hard work of becoming something mm -hmm. that believes and uh, attests to and moves toward yes so i have not I have eschewed the 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 work with satire and parody because of because it's not because it's easy in a professional realm but because in an amateur realm it is it becomes facile and um yeah and um deconstructs a person's ability to believe in Mm -hmm. or to to put forward characters who move with an uncontestable desire mm -hmm. yeah um and i think uh from like our conversations and how like i've had uh, feelings of this like coming in was one of my um impetuses for mm -hmm, wanting mm -hmm, to work with mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. and over the week and over to the last two weeks and through the creation of this outline I feel like we've figured out a way um for there to be these different aspects different um characters some are like more indwelled so then there's mm -hmm. the uh, there's mm -hmm. a section where the uh, that we're calling the enactments that is like uh, playing playing the parody aspects of the form mm -hmm. um, and so there there and then there's you know sections that are 
like the harpy that are, like really get it the core of like the grotesque and the not like nihilism mm-hmm. and then uh things w- w- like this earth earth globe, char- globe yeah. character that we're working on that is like um potentially more optimistic or more clown clown-esque mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so i like it's been like because Buffon pieces I've that are pure Buffon that I've created in the past have left me with this similar feeling from the audience and coming out of it that it uh it's just like feels easy or like is not um is like saying things that we already know Mm. kind of Mm. and um so I'm excited about like continuing to develop further what we've started creating that um it will go will spiral deeper into this issue of climate change and like uh possibly get to something deeper in the our subcon our our subconscious and like um this issue that is more than what's on the surface surface level that can be made fun of i guess or that is like satired often you know here's here's a thing a quote what tell me your thoughts on this Mm. buffons are those who believe in nothing and make fun of everything well i my my impression, my perspective on Buffon is not um, is not really educated. I I have a I have an affinity for the outcast, for the deformed, for the but this definition to me is too erudite for a Buffon to uh, to have said. Yes. So it's too... Um, not say for... What's the... Yeah. It doesn't care well, about anything? That's, this is... Uh, I should say that this is from uh, Lecoq's book. On, so in Lecoq's book, there's a small section yeah, on yeah. Buffon. Yeah. And yeah. I was just like... I th- thought that this quote or this section was interesting buffons are those who believe in nothing and make fun of everything okay so the the statement believe in nothing is for me for them is not a um is not a um is not a cognitive thought for them. So yes, if I am yeah. the character, I'm not going, I don't believe in anything. Mm-hmm. Because that's an existential, you know, that's a 20th century existential, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was difficult in history until the 20th century for people to create statements like that. I don't believe in anything. Because it was the only thing that was left to many people was belief. Mm-hmm. Or at least the attestation that uh, via their work or effort that they hoped for something. That nihilism um, comes in in the 20th century when we can afford to be pessimistic. Mm-hmm. When we can afford uh, to have time to um, ruminate over what we quote what we don't believe, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm not sure how helpful that is, except for that that one comes to accept as one plays the character that it is not a question of believing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess and it's something that's like the that is a question I've had because 
like some say buffons are like aliens that they're otherworldly or there's a realm of the buffon that is otherworldly they're coming down and i've questioned whether people actually recognize that like when when uh, a group of buffons come on the stage they're all misshapen they're in these costumes that are like hunchbacks and long arms and and uh weird weird looking and all different kinds of ways um does the audience actually, like, I've wondered, do they recognize that as an alien-esque creature? And, yeah, um, and then also there's another realm of, like, of the Buffon that Gouliet teaches that is, like, um, the like street urchins and prostitutes and people in our time now who are outsiders of society um and i would say that those people like most like homeless people that i imagine homeless like homeless people and prostitutes and outsiders have dreams and want believe in things so i don't know but even now even now it's um yeah if i yes anyway it's a so my my interest in the theater is via one who believes Mm -hmm. is via one who acts um meaning proceeds with action forward. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a great time uh, engaging with you in the work of, in, in your perceptions and engagements with Buffon because I, and, and as our dialectic, our, our conversations, I engage in a in a theater that uh, that attests to characters who have desires and wants, um, and whose deformation is um, is as much their psychology uh-huh. as their physical appearance. So the process of this work has been not which I was. I have been glad for it has not been a process of trying to discern or reestablish definitions for characters or manners of play, but has simply been to uh, to for me to assist Ross in in his trying to formulate things that he wished to say and to look for forms that are agreeable for those things, which is my bent, that I am not interested in uh, enforcing a form uh, to say something. I'm interested in what it is that people have to say in in the source content of that as our human condition and then to try to, or not to try to, then to um, mull it over enough and to to play with it in time and space enough that we begin to understand the form that it aspires to, mm-hmm. the form that we attach to it. So, so that's been a lot of my interest in this in this conversation as the show is being built and as because a lot because a lot of the things that Ross brings to the table in his desires to say are tempered by his fondness for satire and parody via the form of Buffon so it has been um it's been an intuitive play for both of us um and not a struggle with conceptual 
uh, objectives, mm-hmm. which has been a gift, a, a joy to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and like I t- I feel like you, um, one has to be in this work. One has to be a believer in a way. Because you're trying to say something to, about a particular subject that you are approaching with the work, you know. Mm-hmm. This so. this hits on another, but another um, aspect of a kind of a of a type of duplicity that I have found um, annoying about certain aspects of theatrical performances. And Buffon is is one if it's not performed deeply, it's easy to see that the form is being used by the person to say what they want to say. Mm. And I dislike seeing that kind of duplicitousness on the stage. Mm-hmm. Some people in, you know, during the latter part of the 20th century, in the, in this whole postmodern work series of works developments, have have been interested in playing that duplicity in front of an audience, that they see through the character to the actor who's performing the character. Yes, um, but. But I, I, um, it just pisses me off. <laughs> it's, it's to me, it's, it's, um, it's arrogant in the sense that the actor refuses to let the character cover them, hide them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the actor keeps a door or window open in the character so that the audience can see him pulling the strings. And it's disingenuous to me. Mm-hmm. If, it's a, if it's a, you know, this is what I'm going to do so you can see how this is being done. There are some, I, there's some effectiveness in that that could contribute to a dramatic effect um, most things can't be categorically denied but generally it is one of my dislikes about Buffon is that I end up seeing the strings being pulled by someone who enjoys doing the form mm, because it yeah. allows them to be grotesque to be you know, in the same way that I that I don't generally like clown work, where the person is doing the clown because it allows them to be silly, or allows them to be um, unguarded. Uh, it does, and it can, but I want to see the character that uh, that develops from that unguardedness, not the person who is unguarded. Yeah as a means of exhibiting their liberty behind the nose. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's interesting in the Buffon because like, for example, this show is talking about climate change. So, in it, it's been good in this process to like start to find like one day we wrote down what the my goals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are with the show. Find what is the root or the core of these care the drives, which are again beliefs. You know, um, there like there the has to be a strong the yeah. There has yes. to be a strong yeah. th- those things. And um, some of them. Some of them, you know, in the quote, and as, as, as you've mentioned, in the enactment section, these are cartoons. Mm-hmm. And some of them are just one-offs where they're kind of like a sight gag um, or a textual gag. Uh, and that's what they're meant to be. Yeah. So there is a, there's an allowance 
there is a um, a scope of play and style in the proposed work um, that is that's fun. Yeah, I like and and often in in things that I've helped to develop in the past. Um, it, from my my perspective, things that I've developed, um, it interests me a lot. Characters playing characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but the base persona has to have has to be fully weighted. Uh huh. Yeah. Has to have a full. The full weight of authenticity. Yes. Um, in order for me to enjoy the play of um, of it taking on other uh, other entities, other caricatures. Yeah. Um, and it's even interesting in doing that for us to see when an authentic character takes on uh, another caricature or series of caricatures, it can be really fun and interesting to see the, the primary character leak through into these characterizations. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's disconcerting to have a character who is not thorough or full taking on other entities okay because so then that's we what begin to yeah. yeah then then the then the point of view begins to blur we talked the other day a little bit about um and maybe we can have this conversation again but um do do you think people change because of art uh I'm just going to... I have to say I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But the other day you you talked about a couple instances where people came up to you. And... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In my... In the work of the clown, there have been... You know, where... A, uh, for instance, one time there was a, a psychologist who was entrusted with the care of a of a young boy just beginning uh, to go into his teens, probably 11 or 12, um, who was, and I don't know what the psychological uh, definition, but he had never laughed. He was, um, he was completely uh, non-effective. Uh, so, and this psychologist had tried any number of ways to get the the child to the young man to respond to things. Um, he had had a, a really severely uh, abusive childhood, um, and I think at this time was with a foster care situation. Um, and so he had just totally shut down entirely. Um, but he brought him to this clown show that I was doing, my performance, and uh, the guy started laughing. And so the psychologist wrote me a letter um, backstage and said, is there any way that he can participate in the workshop that you're doing later, tomorrow? Can he be... Will you talk to him some? Will you because this is the most emotional engagement that I've seen from him in the three or four years that I've been working with him. So it was, you know, that's, that's great. And I think that that kind of thing does happen. Mm-hmm. What, what I'm not sure about is how, is whether it creates a cognitive resonance or not whether it is oh I get it okay that's a bad situation I'm going to change my attitude about I'll be you know 
I don't know mm -hmm. what happens that way. Um, I don't know. I do know, I mean, my, my conviction is that the nature of the poet in our world, in the world period, in historically, um, is the place of the, actually of a prophet, the quote artist. Um, and it is through, I feel like, the work of the quote artist poet that opens new vistas for the civilization of man. Yeah, weren't you telling me the other day about you were listening to something? Was this you that was, um, they were talking about how each development in history has been some, preceded yeah. by an artistic development? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it's a book, uh, I think it's called uh, The uh, Physics and Art, or The Art and art and physics or something like that. Okay. But uh, it's an exhaustive book that sort of chronicles poetic and artistic developments and um, developments in the sciences um, and in almost all cases the advances were first made in a poetic uh, sense and that scientific uh, and knowledgeable development advanced after. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily because, it was interesting, they were saying not necessarily because of the scientist being aware of what was going on in the arts, but that, that the, the phenomenon of uh, advancement of the knowledge of the race um, seemed to work that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That the advancement seems to be first headed by the artist poet. Cool. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between um, teaching uh, and di direct, like how you've engaged with me here as opposed to? Yeah, we the, we yeah. talked about this, and I'll I'll try to be more concise because a lot of times in in discussing these things, I don't know them, but I'm aware. And so I have to, uh, I have to walk through the territory, and try to articulate the things that I see. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> My work with you, is to, uh, is to see if I can, uh, elicit from you. Clarity about your intent. So that you understand yourself. As, as much as possible. And then to begin to look at um, structures, possibilities to suggest to you or to, yeah, to suggest to you what directions thing, things might go or what, what uh, forms or images might support those interests. And then also probably most of the way we work this time is to um, to offer you a place, uh, a time, for you to play your interests, and then to reflect back to you um, their, in my opinion, their strengths and or weaknesses. Um, how viable that image is, whether the character seems like it has a place to live in you, whether it's, whether the idea of it has a, um, 
seems to have a life beyond just the moment that you proposed. Um, so it is to, to serve you um, by trying to, to invite you to, to speak about how strong the images that you work with could be, uh, to listen to the texts that I ask you to write, to um, suggest ways that those texts might find a greater authenticity or some places there was a really beautiful text that you wrote, but I said to you, it's too uh, erudite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, suggesting then that you take that text and create a a, um, a tandem uh, text to it in an everyday vernacular verbiage. Um, yeah, and, and so that's the way my my work then is to serve you in a way that acknowledges you as master, as uh, that, as the as the um, as the author of the perspective and the uh, the poetic. Uh, exposition that you are interested in, so I I try to serve that with whatever dubious skill I may have in terms of seeing and hearing. Um, in the classroom, I am uh, I am the trail boss, uh, the person in the wagon train. Um, and we all have to advance over different terrains. Um, and it's necessary for most to learn how to scale the sides of a mountain, um, to tie up the oxen, to cook, to bathe, to rear children in corporate, in, in community, to, uh, to be warriors, to look out for those things on the exterior of the train that would be detrimental to the journey. Um, and in doing that, I, have, I, I regard each individual in... Uh, I, I have to see each individual with regard to that journey. So... The journey exists. Um, And we all have to take that journey. Your journey is is your own journey. And so I sign on as a, a kind of cosmic facilitator of that journey, as a kind of metaphysician to poke and turn and to <clears throat> say, you know, I don't know if the fire is hot enough <coughs> to bring out that color or that deal. And I don't think you have enough Beetlejuice to put in the thing here. It needs, you have to be crazier. You have to be less crazy in order for this to be viable. So it's different. Yeah. Will you talk about the cave and the... Yeah, with the... So, the um, Plato's uh, uh, illustration of the cave in the Republic, I think it is, um, was really influential early on for me. And it's not... It's not the way all... I was just... I was telling Ross... You guys in Radio Land. I mean, in, uh, sorry. That sort of shows something, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Podcast Land. Oh, wow. Wow, Radio Oh. Okay, so. Um, what was I saying now? I've dis- disturbed my... An uh, uh, early influence. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Plato's uh, illustration of the cave is the, the person inside the cave looking at the wall, and the, most of you know this 
the person inside the cave looking at the wall uh, believes that this is reality. Um, when in truth, the things that I see, i.e. the shadows parading back and forth across the wall, are coming from, from a world behind and above me at the opening of the cave. So that the real world of forms. So there are some things in my, for instance, in my teaching of clown, um, I understand clown as basically a buoyant uh, and um, resilient entity. Um, so that my, my listening to the individual is I, I place them in front of the form clown in a way and I, mm. I, I don't do this you know like I say it but I see I see them against against that which is buoyant and uh, resilient mm. um, that which engenders laughter that which is uh, uh, paradoxical um, and so I invite them to play uh, and scream at them when, <laughs> when, when it's not funny. Uh, so, so, so to drive them to the place of laughter. Now that's no, but but I. So I say some people, some people, one drives to the place of laughter. Some people one invites to the place of laughter. Some some people one seduces. To the place of laughter, some people, you know. So that engagement and my provocation with this idea of the form of clown, or i.e., the form of Buffon, or the form of tragedy, the form of, you know, um, yeah. So, so that's a that's a that's an aspect. But I I also hold strongly the admonition to not um, to not look at someone with the eyes to um, with the eyes to um, address them as something that looks like them. Mm. So it's an, it's an interesting thing that, that um, also I, I can't speak to this strongly, but that, that Lecoq advocates an eye for the, for the general, for the thing that, that unites us. Um, in the same way then we look for, uh, at the Commedia characters, at archetypes, mm -hmm. um, and some of the work then of teaching character is that we look for uh, the archetypes in our societies um, and see what the people at the root of those archetypes are about. It's really interesting too the parallel between um, visual arts and the theater, i.e. with archetype, is that in my drawing classes um, in terms of uh, depth, <clears throat> the creation of uh, perspective, um, shapes, shapes that recede are organic shapes, and shapes that move forward are uh, geometric shapes, uh, forms that we recognize, that we invite forward, forms we don't recognize, move away from us. Mm -hmm. <coughs> um, classical painting and drawing is replete with this kind of engagement. Um, how they manage to, uh, to make a tension, to create a tension in the picture frame, in the, yeah, 
by, by this kind of uh, movement, forward and backward. So in the same way, in the theater, if one is determined to create, i.e. an eccentric character um, that is just peculiar, um, whose wants vary depending on the actor's whim, um, then it's difficult for the actor to quote, I'm sorry, it's difficult for the audience to quote C, mm-hmm. that character, that personage. Um, that the closer a character moves toward an archetype, the more clearly an audience member will recognize or see or identify with a particular character. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a good thing... Um, for a an actor to to understand um, to go into is not necessarily the psychological ramifications of character, but the archetypical ramifications of character, our wants, our desires, uh, and how those are often um, similar. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a long way around. Um, as profitable as that is, that can be detrimental when dealing with an individual, quote-unquote. Because I will assume that I know the person. It's interesting. I, um, for you, uh, I, I don't know if you, because you said something about, but I... I had to go through a period of time with your coming here because I, I remember you ten years ago at school uh-huh. as that person, and so I have to be quiet in in my in my regard for you, if not in my <laughs> verbal <laughs> babblings, but in I have to be quiet in my assumption that I know you. Mm-hmm. And so at one point I do, I, I have to get you to be still and I have to stand close to you and have some time just to regard you, to look in your eyes. And I can confess to you, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a real, uh, it's a revelation for me, it's a joy for me to have the occasion to meet who you are, to be with who you are, this person who has become over 10 years a, uh, a way respectable, skilled craftsman and artist, um, a developing poet. So, yeah, and that, that has to do too with my my engagement with you in this process as opposed to my engagement with the student in the journey uh, toward discovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What, how about, um, can you talk a little bit about empathy and like uh, empathy through Seeing. Okay. A little bit. Seeing seeing through empathy. Yeah. Um, I sometimes have thought that, you know, there's, they've been, uh, I listened to a podcast once about an, about an, I don't know what they call an empath. An empath. Right, right. And so I had never heard of or been uh, I had never heard of this before I'd never and uh, I feel that in my life I've suffered some of this because I it's difficult for me to know you it's difficult for me to serve you unless I become you and so and it's the same way with the student 
with 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 me with a student is that my seeing in some ways depends on my becoming the other becoming that person um it's uh it's multi-layered in that it's a it's a little bit complex it's not complicated but i i I have to find a place or a way or I I let go of myself to identify with the person before me. And that identification sometimes takes the form of um of feeling the lack mm. or feeling the press, the push, the anxiety, the um so some of my work as a teacher in a classroom is via this empathic engagement um so that if i find if i see if i hear a want a need a vacant place a volume an insecurity an uncertainness a fear uh then i uh move myself to provoke uh the student to move to a place where they find a fullness or if there is a um i.e. if there is a disregard if uh, disregard if 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 the student feels privileged uh, feels ah, what's the contemporary word we uh, feels um they're right to be on the stage that there's uh that they have uh no misgivings about being on the stage that they're full of themselves in front of everybody that they and to be full of oneself doesn't necessarily mean that one's grounded uh-huh and so some of my work with regard to that person is to create instability because what i I am hoping for is to play with a student who stands before unknowing who stands before the unknown not a student who comes clothed and ready to um take on imaginary uh imaginary vistas and things because these often get in the way of <laughs> the actuality of unknowing which is the profitable place to be mhm yeah i feel um feel like you d- do that too you do that as a director as well you're sit like i could like during the process feel like you could see uh, where something was going or um and be like be able to help me move it further in that direction or like with this movement piece like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. a cha- you know a challenge um but the thing that's the thing that's really wonderful about this and for you guys on the radio <laughs> in radio land um that be a good play radio land <laughs> yeah. um and it's a, actually a podcast yes. <laughs> so uh what was i saying um you were saying a really good thing about this you guys on the radio oh. before that oh. it was like oh. Oh. it was about um i was talking about the movement piece ah uh, yeah yeah so so we we're formulating proposing a movement piece uh for ross that is that identifies with the natural world um because if we propose a an engagement about climate change we have something to say uh about the belief that man exists 
via the world around, not in contrast to it or in opposition to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a section, proposed section, where Ross engages the ferocity, the sublimeness of uh, the natural world uh, as, quote, the frail man. So, in, and, and I, I would propose this for, for Ross in particular, it could be a, it could be the exercise for a novice, but for Ross, who is consummately skilled physically, it offers an opportunity to create physical techniques. Um, uh, virtuosic physicalities, balances, um, ways, uh, developing ways of moving. Um, so it, it offers an opportunity for, um, for a consummately skilled person to develop that skill in service of their own visions, their own uh, images, uh, I may say, as opposed to serving uh, codified structures and techniques. So that's that's that piece uh, of the of the work, and one of a way that I um, encourage, become an encourager of Ross to explore those things, to invent work out of his facility, out of his physical facility. Mm. Yeah. That's challenging. Awesome. Do you, do you have any questions for me or anything? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you, man. Thank you. Well, this yeah, is, yeah, I'm I mean, really excited. Yeah, and I keep and, saying to Ross yeah. over this, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? Are you we've okay? Had, we've had a lot of hugs and a lot of, are, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. And then yeah. one time you were like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you... Mm. Are you sure? And I was like, well, uh, one day it was the, fr- I was frustrated in the, it, we oh, yeah, were working yeah, yeah, on the yeah, yeah. movement piece yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't, it didn't happen. It wasn't happening the first and second time I did it. So, <laughs> so my, uh, my place then, and I, I, I am uh, grateful for this because I have the opportunities to say this is only exploration. It, it should not involve expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of that aspect about our playing out this work is that it is at this stage a playful investigation and all things remain on the table. Mm-hmm. So my my um, admonition to Ross is that he not frustrate himself with expectations at this stage of the game. That he allow the work to play through him in its uh, in all of its manifestations whether it be as he sees successful or not. That he be able to live with this exploration um, without judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, I, we are, we're going to meet again in January. Yeah. Yeah. Way <laughs> cool. Yeah. This yeah. has been, it's been, yeah. Great. Ross, uh, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. yeah, thank you for coming. Like, yeah, and it's been incredible to be here with you and Lydia and Jethro. Just eating and Jethro. <laughs> and, yes. 
We've had great uh, meals and conversations and yeah, it's just been really rewarding and um fulfilling. So thank you so much. Thanks, old yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Okay. Okay, bye guys in bye. Radio Land. <laughs>